Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 today. We're going to be picking up about halfway through that chapter in verse 18 in a few moments. That, that image of, of a press, right, an image or, or, or a name being sort of printed on a piece of paper is, uh, is a powerful one in terms of how we think about our identity. Last week, we sort of started this series on identity, thinking about what does it mean for us to bear the image of God, right? For him to have pressed his, his image on us in a deep way. We said that, that there's probably a lot we need to, to sit with, to soak in, to unpack from the account of Scripture as to, to the different facets of our identity as image bearers. Well, we started last week by, by remembering that to be an image bearer of God, to be created in his image, at least firstly means we are beings created to know and worship God, to, to exist in his presence, to know him intimately, to enjoy a special relationship with our creator. Today I want to move uh, a little further into that idea of image bearing and consider how we are, yes, beings made to know and to worship God as individuals, to be in his presence. But we're also created to do that as a community, to share that with one another. So we're going to be thinking about uh, this text in Genesis 2. And how that communicates this, this reality that we are created for community. Our Family is uh, always reading through different stories together. And one of the, the stories that has been a favorite in our family over the past few years is a series, actually, of novels called The Mysterious Benedict Society. And uh, the, the novels follow primarily the adventures. I see some, some familiar recognition here. Yeah, somebody's been reading them. Uh, it follows the adventures of four children. Rennie, Sticky, Kate, and Constance. And though each, each of these kids are uh, unique, they're very kind of uh, unusual in the, the characteristics they possess individually, they share a few things in common with each other. The first is that they are unusually brilliant children. They're, they're savants of a certain kind. And secondly, they have come to be in the world essentially as orphans, uh, without a significant parental figure in their lives. And so that, that reality, or those, those two realities, lead them, uh, the four of them, to come to live with a man named Mr. Benedict in his home. And it turns out that this home that they come to live in is a kind of secret training school for genius spy children. And their, their time together with Mr. Benedict equips them and sends them out on a series of adventures where they basically end up saving the world from uh, an evil, uh, sort of evil genius. But on the way to all of those saving adventures, right, as they go about those things, there's also a movement in these four children where they come to receive and recognize more fully their own sense of identity. Right? All four of them 
move from being orphans at the beginning of these novels to being known, to being loved, to discovering who they have been created to be. And that, that happens in this society, in this community that they enjoy with one another. If you're looking for something to read with your kids, you, you might pick them up there. They're a lot of fun to make your way through. But for all of us, I wonder who those people are in our lives, right? Who has helped you to see you more clearly? Or another way of saying that is who has helped you to see how God's image is, is imprinted, impressed upon you in particular ways? I want us to, to hold this, this tension in mind this morning. We said last week that identity is fundamentally a gift God gives. We don't construct identity. We don't find it in, in kind of ourselves uh, or in the world out there. It's a grace. It's something there at the beginning in the way God has made us. But even though identity is the gift that God has given to us, there is an important way in which it is revealed, it's, it's made known, it's confirmed in us as we live and share our lives with others. Right? God invites us to know Him and to know ourselves more deeply by knowing one another. So I invite you to open to Genesis 2, verse 18. I want to pray for us as we ask the word of God, to help inform and reveal this identity to us. Lord, you have created us to enjoy the community of your spirit. You created us for worship and to be known by you. So too, Lord, you have also created us in the community of one another today. Lord, I pray that through your word, through the work of your spirit, through our willingness to obey the truth we find here and submit our lives to it, that we would flourish, that we would go forth into the world bearing your image and your identity confidence, with grace, with a deep sense of how much you love us and have formed and shaped us. Lord, I pray that these words as I preach, may the meditations and applications of each heart today be pleasing in your sight. Jesus, it's, Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're in the second chapter of Genesis here. And if you remember, Genesis 2 is sort of a, a recasting, a retelling of what happens in Genesis 1. But it, it zeroes in, it wants to give greater focus to, in particular, what happens on day 6 in creation. As God creates man and woman. As God forms and fashions Adam and Eve. And in this particular part of chapter 2, it's interesting, if we think back to chapter 1, we get those, those days of creation, and, and there's this repetition, this rehearsal of all that God made and was good. Right? Day 1, 
complete. It was good. Day two, it was good. Day three, it was good. Day four, it was good. Day five, it was good. Day six, it was very good. But as Genesis 2 retells day six in particular, it wants to draw our attention here to something that was not so good, at least partway through that day. Look at verse 18. The Lord God said, this is after Adam has been created, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It is not good for the man to be alone. For most of us, this past year has probably provided more alone time than ever before. How have you responded to being alone, having that additional time in isolation? I've heard some describe 2020 as an introvert's paradise, and it's felt more like purgatory to those of us who are more extroverted. But beyond our our personality types, beyond our preferences for for sort of how much we like to be and share our lives with other people, be around them, today I want us to think about what the scriptures communicate about uh, the realities of isolation, and, and then in contrast, the realities of life in community. If we survey what's taken place so far here in Genesis 2, we have this incredible sort of uh, environment, right? We have a marvelous garden that God has made. We have the first human creature in Adam. The God has filled with his own breath. Right? There's, there's a sort of idyllic quality to Adam's life here in the garden. And we might think, well, what more is needed, right? God has created a creature in his own image. God is with that creature. That creature is with God. Right? What more needs to be done? And yet, if we look at verse 18, it says that God is somehow troubled by what he sees. Right? Despite that this being is there in God's own presence, despite all the glories of Eden that surround him, it says that this condition is is not good. It is not good that the man is alone, that he is without a suitable community. What I hear Genesis 2 driving home is that when God imagined our human identities, when he set out to create us as beings in his image, Isolation wasn't an option for us. You cannot be or bear the image of God alone. God doesn't bear his own image alone. God is a triune being. He bears his own image in community. And so this isolation of Adam troubles God And so we see in the second half of verse 18 that God goes back to the work of creation. 
And he goes back to his research and development lab there in Eden. And it says that God sets out to make a helper suitable for the man. Now, I want to take a minute to talk about that particular phrase. I jumped ahead a little too far here. Can we go back one slide? If you've been around the church for a while, you may have heard that the King James translation of this phrase, uh, suitable helper, sometimes it's the, the helpmate, I think is how that version translates it. And unfortunately, in, in recent history, this, this idea, this uh, understanding of this verse here has led those of us in the church to believe that somehow what Adam needed was a kind of junior partner there in the garden, a helper, right? Conveys a sense of, of inferiority. But that notion has actually done significant violence to what the Hebrew words here actually mean. The first word there, helper, is the Hebrew edzer. And as one lexicon defines edzer, edzer is, is someone that we turn to when we encounter our own limitedness, our own limitation. Right? And edzer is someone who supplies additional strength where we are lacking. In fact, on several other occasions in Scripture, an edzer refers to God himself. He is our helper. He is our strength. So it says that, that Adam needs a helper. He needs someone to, to go beyond where he is limited, to, to supply strength where he does not possess it. But then it, it qualifies what that helper is to be like with another word in Hebrew, Kenegdo, or suitable is the translation in the NIV. A suitable helper. And Kenegdo means uh, that which is, in essence, basically equivalent or, or, or similar to, but also possesses difference. There's equality, but, but complementary. It's, it's complementary. It's, it's opposite in some way. So uh, an Edzer Kenegdo, a suitable helper, is a partner who possesses quality and strength, but whose difference, whose otherness, will also supply where we are lacking. God says this is what is necessary to bear his image in true community. And so because God says it is not good for Adam to be alone, he sets out to make this new helper for Adam. And the search for that community begins in verses 19 and following. It says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds in the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper, no Edzer Konegdo, was found. I think there's kind of a, a, a positive and a, a negative or a, or a lacking uh, statement here in verses 19 and 20. The first affirms something which is good 
in that Adam gets to participate in God's work of creation here in verse 19. God brings each of the animals that he has formed, but he brings them to Adam and he asks Adam to supply them with names. Right? This is kind of a glimpse of what it is going to be uh, to be the, the steward over creation, to bear God's image in the world as they've been called to do back in Genesis 1. But even as Adam gets a, a taste for what it is to, to be together with God in the work that he's been called to do, as he supplies names and, and part of the identity of each one of these creatures, the more he does that, the more keenly Adam begins to realize that none of them will be adequate companions. None of them are capable of being named an Edzer, Konegdo, a suitable helper for him and for the work God has called him to do in the world. One of the, the rabbinic retellings of this particular verse said that as Adam surveyed this parade of animals before him, he cried out in lament and he said, everything has a partner. I have no partner. We can feel the loneliness of Adam in this passage. And I suspect that all of us have had times in our lives where we've been seeking community. We've been seeking companionship, seeking to know and to be known. And have experienced that same kind of loneliness. Right? We experience a longing for community. I can remember lots of different seasons in my life where that's been the case. I can remember the start of my college years and longing to find a group of friends that I could share my life with. And it took, took months, it took years for that community to form. Maybe you can remember moving to a new city. Maybe you can remember joining a new church family. You can remember times in your life where it felt like everyone around you had a partner, had a friend, had a place to belong except you. Maybe that's something that you are continuing to experience today. Maybe this past year has been a, a profound experience for you of that loneliness or isolation. I want to say a couple things about those times in our lives. First of all, that experience, that experience of loneliness is also an experience of longing for community. That is deeply human. It's deeply part of the identity God has given to us. Right? It expresses that we have been created to need this, to know this, to have suitable community and companionship in our lives. I think along with that, this passage also tells us that because God created us with that longing, he created it as a real need in who we are. The God has also said that he is responsible for supplying that community. Community is a gift from God. Community is something God creates. 
It's not our construction. It's not ours to build. It's not ours to find. The community that we long for and that we need to grow into our identities is a work that God himself does on behalf of his people. We see that even here in Eden. The second half of day six. Look at verses 21 through 25. It says, So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to him. Then the man said, This now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is is united or clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. So Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We see at the end of chapter 2, God again takes the lead in creation. Right? Adam's been working, he's been doing the co-creating work of God in the garden, naming all these animals, but now the, the loneliness that that search has produced in Adam gives way to a deep sense of rest and sleep that falls upon him. And as Adam is caused to rest in the presence of God, we're told that an act of new creation begins. A new creature is formed. This time, not from the dust of the earth, but from Adam's own flesh. It's it's his side that is removed and turned into a new being turned into a suitable helper, an edzer kenegdo, one that will belong to Adam and that he will belong to in return. There's a a beautiful song written by Josh Gerrels. It's called Heaven's Knife. It it alludes to sort of the the incision God makes here. And in, in part of that song, it describes the moment of Adam's first awakening from that sleep. And I want to play that clip just briefly for you now. captures what happens in verse 23 here. Verse 23, as as Adam awakes, 
It's a moment of rejoicing, but it's also a moment of recognition. He says, this time, right? Not, not all those other times where other creatures came before him and there was, there was a naming, but not a reflection, not a recognition of himself. He says, this time, this creature is different. She is bone of my bones. She is flesh of my flesh. And so Adam supplies a name here taken from his own, right? He says, so she shall be called Isha, woman. Because she was taken out of Ish, man. Right, there's an identity. There's a sense that these two belong to one another. They recognize the image in one another. And it, it's a re-expression of what Genesis 1 already told us, right? That when God made us in the image of God, he made us male and female. What I think is profound here, though, is... Again, this idea that we come to recognize our own identity as we see the image of God in another human being, in community. Like in the song here where it says, Adam proclaims, right, she's a part of me. When we belong to another person, another community of persons, Right? Our sense of individual identity gets affirmed, it gets confirmed, it becomes revealed to us through that set of relationships. And I know that in this particular passage, the community that Genesis 2 has in view is the community of marriage between a man and woman. And while that, that union of marriage is unique in some respects, right, there are things unique to the marriage relationship. Marriage then also becomes the source of every other human community, right? It sort of sets the groundwork or the paradigm for what community is meant to be. Right? Whether we're married, whether we remain single, God has created us to belong to others, right? To more than just ourselves. He's not created us to be alone. He's created us with that, that longing to share our lives deeply. reveals his image in community. Verse 24 says that in the community of marriage, a man and a woman cling to one another. Right? They, they leave behind the family or, or part of their own individuality that they've, they've come from, and they become one flesh, Scripture says. And most commentators say, while well, that may sort of echo the, the physical intimacy that marriage provides... It actually probably more fully points to how when a man and woman come together, they form a new family. They become kindred toward one another. Right? That's what God does as they cling to each other. But I want us to listen to what the Apostle Paul does with that verse in Ephesians 5. Right? It is in the context of his discussion, his directions to husbands and wives... But as he's in the middle of instructing them how to love for one another and cling to one another and serve one another and complement one another, he goes on to say that this verse actually not only applies to them and to the marriage relationship, but in a deeper and mysterious and profound way, it expresses the truth of God's relationship with us, the church. 
He says, I am talking about Christ in the church and how these two things belong to one another. So there's a real way that through the work of Christ, right, every member of this body is now bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. We cling to one another. We belong to one another in a way that is analogous to the way a husband and wife belong to one another in marriage. Because we belong to Christ as a people. So what do we do with this reality that we are made for community? We're created for community. We're meant to know and and, and receive more fully the image of God in relationship with others. Well, I want to give you two applications today in, in conclusion. The first is to, to take a time, you know, set aside a time of prayer and, and to name who you are, in fact, sharing your life with right now. I know part of my dilemma, part of my struggle right now is there are all these people I'd love to be sharing my life with, and I'm not, just because of the nature of the pandemic and the situation we find ourselves in. But there are other people, my family members in particular, that I'm sharing my life more deeply with in this season. But with those persons in view, you know, prayerfully ask the Lord, how can I recognize the image of God in them, given to them? How can I speak that over them? How can I affirm that in them? Right? How can I recognize my opportunity to be part of God demonstrating their identity to them? Second application moves a little more broadly outside of maybe our immediate home or our immediate community but I think it's incredibly important for us to do right now. Right, if we believe that we are a people created for community, a people all made in the image of God, and that that image and identity needs to be recovered, then I'd ask you to do the same thing with your enemies, right, with those you feel far away from, not close to that it's difficult to share life together with right now? How can I take time to recognize and pray for and name how God has formed them in his image as well? And in a minute, I'm going to invite you to, to, to pray into both of these areas, those you're sharing your life with in community and where you see the image of God in them, those who we struggle to share our lives with in community and how you see the image of God in them. But I wanted to finish with a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. on this weekend. It speaks to this work and its place as we seek to know and be known in community. At the end of uh, 1956, Dr. King had successfully uh, you know, led this boycott of the buses in Montgomery, Alabama, and the Supreme Court at the end of that year struck down uh, the legislation that, that enabled the segregation of those busing laws. But he said upon that victory, he spoke uh, to the people in Montgomery 
And he said, you know, a particular political victory is not what we are, in fact, seeking. That is not the end. He said, we must go on to love our enemies. He says, because the end of our work is reconciliation. The end of the work is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. Right? The community God has formed us to know and to share with each other. Let's take a few moments now, wherever you are, with whoever you're, you're gathered together with, and to pray about those, those two areas, where the Lord would have you affirm and speak the image that God has created for those around you with. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that we would belong to you fully and freely. Lord, that we would give up any kingdom or possession or commitment of our own in order that we may be possessed by you in your heavenly kingdom and live where you would lead us and call us to. Lord, I pray for a growing sense of what it means to be formed in the image of Jesus Christ in each of our households, each of our marriages, in each of our family relationships, in places we share our lives most deeply right now. And I pray that your people, the church, as we're united to you, Jesus, would be empowered to bear that image out into the world around us in the way that we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and seek to follow you in the way that you give away power in order to serve and to invite your, your heavenly Father's kingdom to come on the earth. Lord, we pray for a few specific needs today within our church family. Lord, we continue to pray for Lisa Haggerty's father, Bill. Lord, we pray for his health. Lord, for you to protect him as he recovers from COVID-19 in Florida. Lord, you pray you'd be with Lisa and her family as they seek to care for him. Lord, we pray, continue to pray that you would be with those who are feeling increasingly isolated in this season. You would supply encouragement in a powerful way today. And Lord, we turn our hearts to you now. You continue to lead us in praise and in song. It's in your name we pray. Amen.